Well, indeed, our text has been read this morning. The title of the message today is Perfect. Well, the title is perfect. It is a perfect title, but the title is Perfect. Perfect has become the new awesome. You know, every every kind of uh, mini generation has a word, right? Cool. And I guess cool became, you know, I don't know. For a while it was awesome. You know, everything was awesome. Well, I think perfect is the new awesome. Have you seen that cute Wells Fargo commercial that illustrates this? So there's these kids and they're trying to sell lemonade at a lemonade stand and, and, a, and a middle-aged man walks by the lemonade stand and, and they're trying to sell him the, the cookies and the, and the lemonade and he's like, oh, sorry, I don't have any cash. And, and so uh, they, they said, well, do you have a North American bank account? And he says, yes. They say, perfect. And, and these little girls just lead him right down the road to pulling out his cell phone and using Zelle to pay for their lemonade. And so each step of the way, they respond to him, perfect. Perfect, perfect, and he makes the the transaction. And his last words of the commercial are perfect. You know, it's the new awesome. My wife actually started this. I don't know if you know this, but several years ago, my wife started this trend of using the word perfect, and she would call this or that perfect. And and of course, me being the voice of prophecy in my family that I am, the voice of truth, I would have to correct her, right? And say, oh no, honey, nothing is perfect in this world. It's not perfect. And, and, and then she was probably thinking, you know, living with you is not perfect. <laughs> Which would only make my point further. So make no mistake, though, perfect is coming. J.B. Moffat has an often quoted long sentence that I'm going to read to you in a moment about Revelation 21. It's very well said as we come out of chapter 20 and all of the wrath of God at the great white throne judgment. Here's his quote. He says, from the smoke and pain and heat of the preceding scenes, it is a relief to pass into the clear, clean atmosphere of the eternal morning where the breath of heaven is sweet and the vast city of God sparkles like a diamond in the radiance of his presence. As Alpha, God had created the first heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Here as Omega, he will create the new heaven and the new earth. We have the bookends of the Bible now as everything is coming to completion. A new heaven and a new earth, new in the sense of fresh, pure, unstained by sin, curse removed, new in the sense of perfect. And so this text began with this concept, this word, this phrase, new heaven. But there's sparse details on the new heaven. Hardly any at all. The only thing we read in this entire chapter about the new heaven is that there is no need for the sun and the moon on the earth. I guess by implication, there's, a, there's the, the belief then that there will be no sun and no moon. And we could probably add the stars to that. In this new heaven, this new space that God will create, there will be no need for these celestial lights. That's it. That's all we learn about the new heaven. We move on to the new earth that's introduced to us here in verse 1 of chapter 21. 
And again, the details are sparse. The only thing we read about the new earth really is a couple of details. Number one, there is no sea. Apparently, the great bodies of water that make up two-thirds of the earth now, the great oceans of this earth, are gone. The sea is no more. And the other thing we learn about the new earth is that it is home to Gentile nations and kings that will continue into the eternal state. And these Gentile nations and kings have access, permanent, unhindered access to the new Jerusalem. We learned that about the new earth. We don't learn about the presence or absence of animals. Not mentioned. Is this new earth round? We have no idea. Are there other cities on this new earth other than New Jerusalem? We're not told. Apparently all of this is not necessary information for us. What we do know for certain is that it will be perfect. New heaven will be perfect. New earth will be perfect. It will be just what is needed. The real focal point of this chapter then is obviously the new Jerusalem. There are tons of details on it, and it is the real theme of this chapter. The new Jerusalem, what I believe will be a literal city built by God. Hebrews 11 spoke of that. God is the builder of this city that Abraham looked for. But it also has tons of symbolic meaning built into it. Uh, pretty much everything about the new literal city of J New Jerusalem is symbolic in meaning as well. Like, of course, the number 12. The number 12 abounds in this chapter because the number 12 is both literal and symbolic. The number 12 is the number of completion or perfection. We read of 12 angels, 12 gates, 12 foundation stones, 12 sons of Israel, 12 apostles of the Lamb, and so it went. Now here is the main point of Revelation 21, and therefore the main point of this sermon. That's a good thing, right? When the main point of the text is the main point of the sermon. Isn't that nice when that happens? I hope it happens every week from this platform. Here it is. I'm going to say it a couple of times so that you get it down. Eternity for believers will be perfect beyond description. That is the main point of Revelation 21. Eternity for believers will be perfect beyond description. But that's not the purpose of this sermon. You see, the main point of the sermon and the purpose of the sermon are different. So now let me tell you the purpose. I'm just putting all my cards on the table this morning. The purpose of this sermon is this. If you are on the way to the celestial city, I want to show you the finish line to motivate you, to inspire you, to encourage you to finish the race and to run well till you hit the finish line. That's the purpose of the sermon this morning if you're a believer. If you are not on the road to glory, if you are not on that path, the purpose this morning is to entice you to come with us, to join us on our narrow road to the celestial city. The carrot is simply this. Eternity for believers will be perfect beyond description. That is the carrot this morning to entice you to come along with us. 
This indescribable perfection is described in three ways in this chapter. I'm taking a thematic approach, not a verse-by-verse approach. It's impossible to outline this chapter. He doubles back, he works around, he touches it and comes back to it and repeats and so forth. And so we're taking a thematic approach. There are three ways that this indescribable perfection is described for us. Number one, it will be a place of beauty. A place of beauty. It will have a beautiful appearance beyond anything we can comprehend. The illustration John uses is the beauty of a bride on her wedding day. Captivating, stunning. She will, the new Jerusalem here, adorned, arranged like a bride made ready for her husband. It is the Greek word cosmeo from which we get cosmetics. It's an arrangement and an adornment. It's illustrated as well by this jasper, but it's a crystal clear jasper. And so this city is more like a diamond in appearance than what we might think of as a jasper stone. The city itself is made of pure gold. It has a street, one street, the street. It's made of pure gold. But this is not gold like you and I understand or know. It's translucent, transparent gold. It's see-through gold. The beauty of this place is beyond comprehension. John is trying to describe the indescribable. He's been given this vision. He is seeing things and he's using human words and language and and analogies to to try to capture it, but it can't be captured. Because our jasper and our gold are anything but translucent or transparent. I mean, this massive wall, it's either about two, over 200 feet thick or, or that's 200 feet high. It doesn't tell us, but it's massive. It goes all the way around this city that, that is a, a, a cube of about 1,500 miles. And so this wall is incredibly long and massive, but it's made of pure, transparent jasper. It's a wall 200 feet thick, and you can see through it to the celestial city. The beauty of this place is stunning. The city rests on these uh, foundation stones, 12 of them in fact, and they're gemstones. The stones themselves are gemstones and then apparently the stones are, are adorned with gemstones. And it's the same gemstone, some believe, as the breastplate of the high priest that he would wear on his breast representing the 12 tribes of Israel, but they're in a different order. The point of these gemstones, I believe, is to present the beauty of this place because of all of the colors that they represent. Here they are, beautiful colors of blue, blue with stripes of other colors, a bright green, red, white, ruby, golden, sea green, transparent yellow green, violet, and purple. It's all there in the colors of these walls. This wall and the foundation stones. You know, gates are functional, right? Gates are to open and close, keep people out, keep people in, whatever. I mean, you just think of gates as being pragmatic. These gates have stunning beauty. The gates are each a single pearl. What a a beautiful thing to see a necklace of pearls. Well, here is a necklace around the city of these massive pearls glistening white 
Everything about it reflects the beauty of God himself. Everything about it reflects the glory of God himself. Like creation did, Genesis 1 and 2, before sin stained it. And like the Garden of Eden did there in the beginning. And yet only better. The better of utter and complete perfection. But it's more than just the beauty of appearance. There's also the beauty here of perfect symmetry. Perfect symmetry is given to us. It has three gates on each side, north, south, east, and west. It has three foundation stones on each side. There is a perfect symmetry to this. As I've said, the the city itself is a cube. Measurements vary among translators, 1,400 miles, 1,500 mile cube. This way, this way, this way. That's important because in ancient times, a cube was a symbol of, you guessed it, perfection. Perfection. There's also here more than just the beauty of appearance and the beauty of perfect symmetry. There is the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness in this place. You'll remember the ancient tabernacle that Israel had in the wilderness wanderings that then became the permanent temple. It had a place called the Holy of Holies, right? It was behind the veil. And the Holy of Holies was a cube. Its dimensions were a square in each direction. What that is telling us here, it's it's mind-blowing, is that the new Jerusalem is the new Holy of Holies. This is a place that has the beauty of complete holiness adorning it. And as we've already learned in the book of Revelation... Believers are all priests of God and of the Lamb. What a stunning thing this is because in the Holy of Holies of ancient Israel, only one person could go in there one time of year, the high priest. And now you have Gentile nations and kings freely coming into the Holy of Holies, bringing their honor and glory into it. The beauty of holiness even for Gentiles. It's even more than this though. There's also a beauty here of diversity within unity. Diversity within unity. These 12 gates are named after the 12 sons of Jacob who became the 12 tribes of Israel, of course. And you just think about those 12 brothers, how diverse they were from each other. Reuben from Simeon and Simeon from Joseph and so forth. They were a a diverse group of sons. We have three children. They're all so different from each other. And the first and the second are completely different from one another. And so I'm sure it was in this family. And yet you have here 12 gates, one city. Diversity within unity. You also have these 12 foundation stones. And they bear the names of the 12 apostles. How different was Peter from John and Matthew from Andrew? Twelve different apostles brought together one city. One united, glorious city. In this perfect symmetry, it's really a theological symmetry, it's a spiritual symmetry. You have the perfect blending of Jewish and Christian, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Israel and the church. As the apostles are named... The 12 tribes are named. All of these distinct peoples, nations are mentioned. All distinct from each other and yet one people of God, right? Finally, in the eternal state, one united people of God. You have 
distinction within unity. And that, my friends, is beautiful to behold. You behold it in a godly Christian marriage. Two distinct persons become one in the eyes of the Lord. And it is beautiful to behold better together than apart as weaknesses and strengths come together. We have it, of course, in God Himself. If you're in the school of theology, what are we studying right now? Three persons in one God, the Trinity. You have it modeled and, and, and rooted in the person of God Himself. Distinction within unity. And so we think about this beautiful place that is our future, where there will be no more racism no more racial inequality and no more foolish division based on skin color and ignorance. Hallelujah. Praise to the Lamb of God. I believe in this place there will be continued skin colors. There will be continued genders, male and female, and there will be continued cultures. I think that will be the case. I think God is going to show in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth, that it can be done. People can have different colors of skin and love each other equally. Two genders can get along equally and cultures can have diversity within unity. But continued discrimination, misogyny or snobbery, I don't think so won't be happening. And so the beauty of this place is overwhelming. It's incomprehensible. It's indescribable. Beauty attracts, right? Beauty draws. And I just want to say as we wrap up this point, be drawn this morning. Be motivated by this beauty. Be enticed by this beautiful place. It will be unlike anything human eyes has ever seen. A a theological beauty, a a spiritual beauty, a beauty of holiness, a beauty of appearance, inside and out, real and symbolic. Everything about it will be glorious. No stains, nothing ugly, nothing distorted, nothing perverted. Everything true, everything good, everything right. Just as God who is good and true and right designed it from the beginning, here will be a place that is not touched By man's sin. Hallelujah. A place of utter beauty. Listen, you were made for beauty. You were drawn to beauty. You are attracted to beauty. And that is right. And this is the place that will be the most beautiful place you have ever seen. Now, where there is perfect beauty, there is also, number two, perfect joy. Perfect joy. This is the second description and theme of this chapter. As we've read in this text, there will be no pain, no pain of any kind, no emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain, no relational pain, no spiritual pain, no pain, no guilt, no sorrow. There will be no pain, therefore there can be no tears, there can be no sadness, there can be no grief, there's no death of any kind, therefore there's no mourning. There's no grief over death. In fact, nothing can die in this place. There's not even a threat of death because it's impossible for death to happen because death has been killed. Death has been dealt the death blow. Death is gone forever in the second death. So nothing can die. If there are animals, they can't die. If there are birds, they can't die. If there are grasshoppers, they can't die. 
Children can't die. Parents can't die. There's no pain of any kind. Therefore, there's only perfect and complete joy. Go with me to Isaiah 65 for a moment because I want to show you why there will be so much joy. As you know, if you've been with us through the book of Revelation, he is constantly alluding to Old Testament passages. And in this chapter, primarily, it's Isaiah and Ezekiel. And we could spend hours just looking up all the cross-references that are potentially being alluded to here. But here's one for certain in Isaiah chapter 65. In verse 17, speaks of this same new heavens and new earth. And I want you to see why it's going to be a place of perfect joy. 65, 17, for behold, God is speaking here. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Okay, that's helpful. <laughs> we got to blank out some bad memories. We got to clean the, clean the hard drive of sinful memories, painful memories. The former things, the, the things of the old heavens and the old earth will be remembered no more. They won't even come to mind. You could not if you wanted to. Verse 18, but be glad. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing. So this very purpose of this place's existence is for the rejoicing of God's people. For our happiness, for our exaltation, for our exaltation. And her people are for gladness. You see this? This is the ultimate purpose. We are for gladness. Verse 19. Now God is speaking. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem. And I will be glad in my people. Now here is the root. Here is the source of all of our joy, all of our gladness. Because God is rejoicing in the place. And God is rejoicing in us. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. <laughs> you know, we say if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Hey, if God ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> but here God is happy and he's happy with himself and he's happy with all of us. And he's rejoicing in us. Let's do some joyful reflection of this place of joy. What we find here then is there will be a perfect happiness in God. This is on our side now. We're going to have a perfect happiness in God, in each other, and in ourselves. And God will have a perfect happiness in us. It has to be that way as well. See, this is what's going to make heaven heaven. God can no longer be grieved with us. God can no longer be saddened by our behavior. God can no longer be displeased as our Heavenly Father. And therefore, we will no longer be disciplined or corrected or chastised by our Heavenly Father. Because God will have perfect joy in us and we in Him and we in each other. What does this mean? It means that there will be no complaining. There will be no grumbling. There will be no whining. There will be none of this groaning about our first world white man problems that we like to groan about, right? That's my new favorite phrase, by the way, just so you can kind of know your pastor. Our first world white, white man problems, such as, man, one of my air conditioner vents in my car doesn't work. <laughs> or can you believe they overcooked my ribeye steak? 
Here's a first world white man problem. The storm knocked out my satellite. (laughs) And I missed the finale of fill in the blank. Oh, but you could go get it off of Netflix, can't you? Not a problem. (laughs) What does this mean? A place of perfect joy. It means no sadness from loss, no grief and loneliness from death, no disappointment from unmet expectations. You will have no unmet expectations. It means no more irritating, delayed gratification. There will be nothing to make the heart sick, nothing to make the soul ache. There will be no breakups, no divorces, no falling outs, bankruptcies, or illnesses. The text tells us there's no night. I think that's symbolic. There's no night of the soul either. Walking down the the street of gold, someone comes up to you and says, Hey, how are you doing? Here's a conversation you, you won't hear. Man, I'm just really struggling lately. You know, can you pray for me? <laughs> I'm just going through a dry time. You know, can you relate? Just kind of that time where you're just distant from the Lord. It's just dry and you just feel it like you're withering up. And another person's going to say, dry time? What is that? Right? This just doesn't exist. There. There's no winter of the soul. There's no night of the soul. There's no dry time. What will be there? Real joy from meaningful activity and joyous life in community. It is a city. A city is a bustling place of real meaningful activity, a godly, holy city, in community with other people. This is very important that we understand this about our eternal state. You know, you're not going to spend eternity in heaven. You're going to spend eternity on the new earth going in and out of this city. In fact, it appears here that heaven and earth become one in this place. But it's important that we see that it's a city bustling with activity, meaningful activity. Heaven is not going to be floating around on some cloud playing a harp. That is, that is horrible. That is almost blasphemous. Heaven is not the Hindu heaven where we're all a drop of rain and we return to the ocean and dissolve into this giant oneness. That's not heaven at all. It's not some mindless nirvana where you stare at some bright light for eternity. It's meaningful activity with meaningful people in joyous community. There's not going to be any living out in the woods by yourself. You're not going to want to. Now I get it. We're in Kerrville. I think by the fact that we're here, we don't like big cities, right? Well, you take everything that's bad away. And then you add only godly, holy people that love you perfectly. And I think you're going to want to be around as many of them as you can. Because it's going to be nothing but glorious joy. It begs the question, where do we find our real and lasting joy right now? If it's in Christ... So it will be for eternity. If we're talking about a place of real and perfect happiness and joy, we need, to, we need to examine ourselves today and say, what am I seeking today? What city of man am I looking at today? What, what part of this world is trying to give me or am I trying to find this real and lasting joy? If it's apart from Christ, if it's outside of serving Christ, knowing Christ, walking with Christ, pleasing Christ, then it's just a, 
it's it's a dry cistern, right? It's a it's a broken it's a broken cup. It's it's no living water. It's sand. It's dirt. It's dust. It, it won't satisfy. It can't. It can't because it's cursed. You understand that, right? The world is under a curse from God, and until that curse is lifted, nothing about this could ultimately satisfy. It wasn't designed to. But if our joy and our real meaning and our happiness is rooted in Christ and the things that He loves, then so it will be. So it will be for eternity. All right, so where there is perfect beauty, number one, and perfect joy, number two, there must be, number three, perfect communion with God. This is our third indescribable description. Third and final is the perfect communion with God that we will have in this place. John makes it a point to say that there is no temple there that would have arrested his original readers in the first century of Asia Minor because every major city in the Roman Empire like Ephesus, like Sardius, like Smyrna, all of these majors, they had a temple, right? Or multiple temples to their Roman gods and goddesses. But he makes a point to tell us that in this city there is no literal temple. Now for his Jewish readers or his Old Testament informed readers, they would also recognize that this city is not like the tabernacle. It does not have a tabernacle like the Israelites had in the wilderness wanderings. There's no rebuilt temple of Solomon. There's no millennial kingdom temple that Jesus will reign in for a thousand years. There is no temple building in this new heaven, new earth. But make no mistake, there is a temple. The temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now, there's an argument for the equal deity of Christ, right? They together represent the dwelling place of God, the temple in the New Jerusalem. And this temple will be well lit, to say the least. You know, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple of Solomon, there were no candles and there were no torches and there was no artificial lighting in the Holy of Holies because that was the room that God filled with his Shekinah glory. Shekinah means the presence. God's presence filled that temple and it lit up that room behind the veil. They needed no candles. Same here. God's glory fills the new Jerusalem. It lights the nations. It lights the the city, no artificial lighting is needed, no sun, no moon. Back to the temple, the original temple. On the other side of the veil was the place called the holy place. The table of showbread was there. The altar of incense was there. And there was artificial lighting in that room. It's called the menorah. Had seven candles, right? That part is different because in this temple... The menorah is Jesus. The lamb is the lamp. So it's a well-lit temple space. I'll give you a recap of Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the focal point of the heavens and the earth became the earth. And then the focal point of the earth... Genesis 1 and 2 became the Garden of Eden, who many scholars believe was a square, 
laid out as a holy of holies. Now let's jump to the end of the Bible where the focal point of the new heavens is the new earth. And the focal point of the new earth is the new Jerusalem. And the focal point of the new Jerusalem is God tabernacling with his people. God dwelling with his people. We have here the new holy of holies. We have here the new Eden. Curse lifted. Original design fulfilled. God moves into the neighborhood. God is the neighborhood. God is the temple. He fills the place with his glory and his light. And in fact, there's so much light that the nations walk by it. And so here we have at the end of the Bible, the completion of everything the Bible has anticipated. The completion of everything redemptive history has longed for. We have everything that God designed from the very beginning now in completion and perfection. Perfect communion with God and all of his elect from every age forever and ever and ever. That is what we discover here in this perfect communion with God. Yes, there will be perfect beauty there. And yes, there will be perfect joy there. But listen to me. All of that is meaningless and all of that is impossible without God. God is the draw of heaven. The triune God is the carrot. The carrot maker is the carrot at the end of the stick. He is what makes heaven heaven. The new Jerusalem so gloriously beautiful and joyful. It's all about God, and we're going to be in perfect communion with Him and with each other for time and eternity. You see, what was interrupted in Eden will never be interrupted again. What, what was designed from the beginning and ruined by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, a sanctuary where they were to worship God with His presence among them, that will now be not just restored but perfected. And it will never be diminished. This, this communion with God will never be distorted. It will never be desecrated again. We will never be distant, distracted, stained, dry, cold of heart, weary of soul. All of those things will be a thing of the past. And I don't even know that we will remember them ever again. Listen, you will have no hope in heaven. There is no such thing as hope in heaven. Everything is fulfilled. There's no faith in heaven. Everything is sight. Perfect fulfillment, perfect communion with a perfect and triune God. Try to imagine that. Try to imagine perfect communion with God. I think we're going to have such feelings of love that we can't even imagine right now. Feelings of peace, feelings of safety, feelings of affirmation. Feelings of acceptance, feelings of gratitude, feelings of humility, feelings of joy, feelings of love. I am loved, loved, loved perfectly, and I know it, and I feel it in every fiber of my being. And I love God perfectly with all of the capacity that I have as a creature. And I love all of my fellow saints perfectly, and they love me perfectly. You see, there's three. There's faith. There's hope and there's love. But the greatest of these is love. It is love that will abide forever. Faith and hope will serve their purpose and, and go away forever. So what road are you on? What road are you on this morning? 
Let me say to you, if perfect beauty and perfect joy and perfect communion with God doesn't look better to you right now than your sin, I think it's time to admit that you're blind. If this doesn't look better than sin... I must come to terms with I am blind to the glory of God in the face of Christ. I am blind to my sin. I am blind to its true reality. If perfect joy, perfect beauty, perfect communion with God is not appealing to you because your sin is more appealing, please, will you please admit that you're blind? How do you change the destinations? You've got to do a U-turn. It's not just pick another road, generally going in the same direction. You got to do a U-turn. You got to double back. You got to go an entirely new direction in life. How do you do that? Well, you do what the blind man did when Jesus came by, because Jesus is coming by right now. Jesus is being offered right now. He's coming by. And what did the blind man do? Because he knew he was blind, he cried out and said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I can't help myself. I can't save myself. I can't open my eyes. I can't fix my blindness. Son of David, fix me. Have mercy on me. That's how you change destinations. That's how you do a U-turn. You must exit Broadway and get on narrow way. Broadway, getting broader and broader, and more and more people are joining it, and it's headed to destruction. And look, over there, there's a narrow road, and it's going an entirely different direction. I need to get on that road. There's not as many people. It doesn't look as popular, but there's something drawing me to narrow way off of Broadway. The message of this chapter is simply this, sin, your sin, my sin, our sin will never deliver the goods. It will never bring us the joy and the beauty that we seek in it. It can't. It's a lie. It's a deception. Sin separates us from beauty and joy because beauty and joy are found only in God and beauty and joy represent satisfaction and this can only happen in the triune God and sin separates us from that. So the question, not the question, the statement this morning, the plea this morning is, will you leave all of that behind and come with us? Will you join us? Will you not continue down Broadway, but get on narrow road and find that God is now and forever more satisfying than your sin? We're begging you, we're pleading with you, please join us, please come with us. Don't wait till it's too late. Now, if you are on Glory Road, and I know that's most of you, my brothers and my sisters here this morning, can I tell you what, the, what John Bunyan says about Christian? You know what? It doesn't matter if you're running or walking or crawling. Just keep going in the right direction. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't give up. This beauty, this joy, this perfect communion with God is here for us as believers. It's here for these seven churches in Asia Minor who were suffering persecution to set before their eyes and say, I've got to be drawn by that. I've got to be pulled forward by that. I've got to be motivated by that. That's why it's here. So whether you crawl, walk, or run, just keep going. My plea to you this morning is to finish strong, is to run well, is to not... Not, not loiter, not, not linger, 
but to keep moving forward in your pursuit of Christ. Persevere in your faith. Overcome the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I exhort you this morning to keep praying. I exhort you this morning to keep coming to church. I exhort you this morning to keep reading your Bible, to worship God, to be part of a body of believers who are on the narrow road to the celestial city. You know what? This is like an outpost of heaven. You understand that? Diversity and unity, worship, joy, communion, beauty of the fellowship of the saints. It's all tarnished and it's all imperfect and it's all in process, but but really the church is an outpost of heaven. It's a taste. It's a little taste of what is to come in fullness. So join the church, be part of the church, function in the church and finish strong. Never quit until one day all you will see is perfect beauty and all you will feel is perfect joy and all you will know by experience is perfect communion with your triune God and with each other. May it be soon and very soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the picture of Revelation 21 for the draw of this text to our hearts. Lord, may it captivate us this morning as it was designed to do. We know we can't answer all the questions or understand all the details, but we know that it will be perfect. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.